Kia ora, ko Simon Toku Ingoa, ko Greenland Christian Centre, te whara karakia, uh, talofalawa, maloe lele, uh, bawone, bola. Uh, my name is Simon, greetings to you from Auckland, uh, and the rest of the Finch family say hi. It's a real privilege to be uh, with you in your Sunday morning meeting King's Church. Uh, we're living in strange times. Uh, strange hairstyles, strange to be speaking to you online, um, and hard times where so much has changed. And in these times, one of the most important questions that we can be asking is, Father, Father God, what are you, what are you doing in this season? In, in the midst of difficulty and trial, I believe that God is on the move. God is at work. He's wanting to shape our hearts. He's wanting to shape his church. And back in February, the Holy Spirit began to speak to me about a guy in the New Testament, a guy in the early church called Stephen. So if you have a Bible handy, maybe grab it, Acts chapter 6. We're going to look at some verses in Acts 6 and 7. We're going to encounter a New Testament hero, a guy who was an ordinary guy, but God had laid hold of his heart. And this morning, God wants to lay hold of our hearts. He wants to speak to us and encourage us and, and strengthen us. So Acts chapter 6, verse 8 says this. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up to the wisdom that the Holy Spirit gave him. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified. This fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. And by holy, holy place, they mean um, the temple. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen and saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Chapter 7. Then the high priest asked Stephen, Are these charges true? And what happens is Stephen speaks an amazing message, but, but it's so long. It's pretty much all of Acts chapter 7. It is 50 verses. And you might have thought that maybe Peter or Paul spoke the longest sermon in the whole of the New Testament, but actually it's Stephen, and it's right here in Acts chapter 7. And what he does is he, is he, he retells Israel's story through the lens of Jesus, in the light of Jesus. We don't have time to look at all of it, but later on we'll look at a few things from what he says. Verse 54. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. It means violent rage. There was violent rage. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, 
I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. One more verse from chapter 8. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered. This is a story in the book of Acts that we can be all too familiar with, so I'd just love to pray for a moment. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it encourages us. And we pray today, Holy Spirit, you would be our teacher, you would illuminate, you would reveal. So as best we know how, we open our hearts to your word. We say, come and do us good. And through us, let Jesus be glorified. Amen. Well, here Stephen is being persecuted. One minute he's serving in the church and the next he's caught up in this amazing storm. There's a conspiracy, a smear campaign. He's seized, put on trial, interrogated, and eventually he's brutally executed. Stephen faced adversity, much of which we, we just can't relate to in 2020. We don't experience it, we don't see it, yet many of our brothers and sisters, Christians in other nations, do. Yet we do face suffering. Jesus promised it. In, in John 16, 33, he says, In this world you will have trouble. We're, we're living in a season of trouble. There's, it's like nothing we've ever known. Normal life has been turned upside down. We've been isolated from family and friends. For some, hopes have been dashed. For others, dreams ruined. We may not realize it, but actually, in some measure, we are all grieving right now. You know, for Zana and I, we were all booked to come down to your Coraway camp in, uh, in March at the Capiti Coast. It seems trivial in the scheme of things of what's happening, but we really wanted to be with you. Uh, we wanted to have fun with you, encounter God together on that camp. For me, my, my dad lives on his own in London. He lives alone. And so we talk every day at the moment just to encourage him. Things in the UK seem to be a lot worse than they are here in New Zealand right now. And across the globe, there's tragedy. Hundreds of thousands have died. We, we've read the news. People are losing their jobs. Domestic abuse is on the increase. Poorer nations are desperate. And I was reading yesterday, the UN is reporting global mental distress. But at the same time as tragedy, God is at work. In this world, you will have trouble, says Jesus. But then he goes on to say, but take heart, I have overcome the world. God is at work in this coronavirus season. And God was at work through the evil of Stephen's persecution. 
And as I've lived with these verses, there's one that sheds light. There's one that, that illuminates, that unlocks. And it can seem an insignificant verse in the light of signs and wonders and gnashing of teeth and brutal execution. In chapter 6, verse 15, they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. How many times I've read that verse and then just read on. But when we take a moment to, to stop, to, to reflect, this is profound. In the turmoil, under intense pressure, being opposed, oppressed, they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. It's not that he had chubby cheeks sitting on a cloud. No, this is, this is powerful. The commentator J.R. Miller writes this. What is the face of an angel like? We cannot tell, but we know that those who live in God's presence must have shining faces. No doubt Stephen's face shone. The secret of the shining is in his heart. The peace of God was there, and even amid the excitements about him, with enraged enemies scowling at him, he had no fear. I was thinking about this. How many of us know that what goes on in our hearts finds its expression on our faces? I'm told this regularly by my family. They know what's going on in my heart by what's on my face. The eyes are the window to the soul. You must have heard that expression. Well, I came across this entry in Hudson Taylor's journal. He was a, a missionary. He said, he wrote this. I have lately returned from a visit to China, and it has been quite the usual thing to find missionaries full of blessing. One who reached China about a year ago was not there very long before the locals gave him the name Mr. Glory Face, because his face was always shining for the Lord. Stephen was Mr. Glory Face. The secret of his face, like an angel, was his heart, God's glory and presence radiating from deep within. So what shaped Stephen's heart? As I read Acts 7, I, I see two things, and two things that the Holy Spirit wants to shape our hearts with in this season. And the first is this, promises. You know, when Stephen launches into his message, he speaks first about Abraham. Verse 2, Brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. God sent him to this land where you are now living. God gave him no inheritance here, not even enough ground to set his foot on, but God promised him that he and his descendants would possess the land. The story of Abraham is a story of God's sovereignty. You know, Abraham had no thought for God. He wasn't searching for God. He was worshipping foreign gods. But God breaks into his life and blesses him and makes him amazing promises. And as you read on, you can see that Stephen's emphasis is on the initiative of God. Verse 2, God appeared. Verse 5, God promised. Verse 7, God said. Verse 8, God gave. 
Verse 31, Moses heard God say. Verse 34, the Lord sends. Time and time again, our God intervenes in the life of his people and brings direction. What's gripping Stephen's heart in the pressure of this persecution, in the midst of turmoil? He is deeply convinced that God is sovereign, that he takes initiative, that he he makes promises and he keeps his promises. God is in control. It's interesting reading social media in this season. There's a, there's a range of views from God had nothing to do with this all the way through to the Lord is judging sinners with this disease. But you know, none of these, neither of these are true. God is not a helpless spectator standing and watching from the sidelines. And God is not the author of evil. It's the devil who comes to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus prophesied that wars and famine and epidemics would be part of the entire age, stretching from his resurrection through to his return. So when we see something like this virus that affects the whole world, we know God is in control of all things. He's the Alpha and Omega. He's the Lord of all history from beginning to end. And what Stephen knew was that God was fulfilling his promises. And today, Jesus wants us to know that his father is still at work, still fulfilling his promises. You know, from Abraham, Stephen moves on to Joseph, Abraham's great-grandson. He was sold as a slave by his own brothers. And in verse 9, this is what Stephen says, but God was with him and rescued him from all his troubles. He gave Joseph wisdom and enabled him to gain the goodwill of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So Pharaoh made him ruler over Egypt. In the midst of family pride and jealousy and deceit, God was with Joseph. He rescued him, gave him wisdom, gave him dreams, enabled him. God is still initiating, still fulfilling his promise. And for us, in what we're facing right now, we can say with Joseph, what was intended for evil, God uses for good. You know, what happened to Joseph was evil. What happened to Stephen, the stoning of this beautiful guy, was evil. But, you know, but through it came so much good. We see the sovereignty of God. Soon we see the launch of the Apostle Paul. He encounters the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9. From here the church is scattered to Jerusalem and and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And in only a few verses in Acts 8, we read that in the city of Samaria there's great joy in that city. You know, this virus is evil. We're ill. We, we feel loss, we grieve, we feel anxious. We didn't see COVID-19 coming, but can we see the same God who is at work through it? You know, maybe in 2020, God is calling a sleepy, complacent church back to himself. Maybe in 2020, God is shaking the nations who have walked so far away from him. 
because 4,000 years later, God is still at work to fulfill his promise to Abraham to bless the nations. Here's the crucial thing. Stephen counts himself into the promise of God. Notice when he starts his speech, he says, the God of glory appeared to our father, Abraham. He identifies himself as part of the covenant people of God. He stands in line with with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and David. And so his face shines with the promises of God that are welling up in his heart. And for us, we stand in that same line. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, through Christ and in Christ, we too are part of that family, part of that people. Peter wants us to know this. In 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, he says this, You are a chosen people, King's Church, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, or in the NIV, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. King's Church, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You know, we're the people of God, not, not a club, not a not-for-profit organisation, good though those are. We're the people of God with great and precious promises. And through them, we may participate in his divine nature. I wondered if we could take a moment before we move on for God to breathe on us, to speak into our hearts, to shape our hearts with promises. He wants to work in us. Maybe take a breath where you are. Invite the Holy Spirit to come. Father, we ask for the Holy Spirit right now. Thank you, you're the God who makes promises. You're the God who keeps his promises. You said, you said the knowledge of the glory of the Lord would cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. You said of the increase of your government and peace, there would be no end. You said, I will bless you and you will be blessed. And through you, the nations of the earth will be blessed. God, we want to remind you of these promises today. Shape our hearts with these promises, just like Stephen, that our faces would shine. Come, Holy Spirit, work in our heart in these days. Amen. Stephen's heart was was shaped by promise. And the second thing, it, it was shaped by presence. Presence. Persecution, promise, and presence. And when Stephen speaks about Joseph, I don't know if you've noticed, he he mentions Egypt over and over again. They sold him as a slave into Egypt, but God enabled him to gain the goodwill of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So Pharaoh made him ruler over Egypt. Then a famine, famine struck all Egypt. When Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, then Jacob went down to Egypt. 
Six times in seven verses, Stephen mentions Egypt. And it's not just that Stephen is interested in geography, you know, love geography, love maps. But what's, what's his point? Well, Stephen goes on to speak about Moses and Mount Sinai in Midian. In verse 30, an angel appeared to Moses in the flames of a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. And when he saw this, he was amazed at the sight and he went over to get a closer look. He heard the Lord say, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. What's the deal for Stephen with Egypt and the burning bush in Midian by Mount Sinai? Well, you know, the religious leaders had Stephen up on a charge and it was a charge against speaking against the temple. This fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place. What, what Stephen's trying to do is help these religious leaders, these Jewish leaders. Buildings aren't holy. The temple was only holy because God's presence was there. And long before the temple, God's presence was with his holy people. Abraham in Mesopotamia, nowhere near Jerusalem. Joseph in Egypt, Moses in Midian, all far, far away from Jerusalem and nowhere near a building. And in this moment for the Sanhedrin, what is holy is not the temple that they're sitting in, but the guy, the man who is standing right before them at that moment, the, stand, the guy standing before their very eyes. Stephen, a new temple full of God's presence. Luke describes him as a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. A man full of God's grace and power who performed great wonders and signs. The Apostle Paul wrote later in 1 Corinthians 6, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? You know, Stephen was a man flooded with the presence of God. He was baptised in the Holy Spirit. And now, before the Sanhedrin, he is experiencing God's manifest presence. And you could see it in his face. And he's full of boldness. His speech is not about self-defense. It's a proclamation of the risen Christ. And he's full of peace. You know, we, we see how Stephen died. He was so calm amidst rage. In verse 59... While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Through Stephen, we see again where the presence of God really dwells. And it's so relevant for us. We know that church isn't a building. We know that church isn't a Sunday service. It is us, his people. But it, but it kind of feels like God is doing something fresh in this season. What's the thing we can't do as churches? We can't gather in our buildings. We can't have big meetings. In fact, no more than 10 right now, and maybe in the future, no more than 100. We have lost our temple course. You know, we see this in the early church in Acts 2. Every day, they continue to meet together in the temple courts. 
maybe hundreds of people, maybe thousands of people. But also it says this, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You know, for us right now, we can't meet in our temple courts, in our buildings, in our school halls, in our big venues. Yet, so often the Western church relies on the big gatherings where fewer can participate. You know, don't get me wrong. It's good to gather all together. But just as important, they broke bread in their homes. The early church was a a new wineskin, flexible, dynamic, powerful. And through Stephen, we're confronted with the presence of God, not a Sunday church service, but a a community, a, a radical community in partnership for the gospel. You know, could it be in this season that Jesus is wanting to shape his church towards multiplied small groups full of the powerful presence of God, where there's renewed emphasis on being a royal priesthood or being a body that grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work? It says that in Ephesians 4.16 where every person is mobilised on mission, where leaders are more the equippers of people rather than doers. Let's wrap this up. In this time of of trouble, when we're feeling all kinds of, of emotions, God is at work. I believe it with all my heart. And it's time to pray. It's time to be asking, Father, what what are you doing in this season? More than ever, we need to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit and what he's saying to us. And Jesus wants us to see Stephen. Stephen, who was shaped by the promises of God. God who initiates, who speaks, who makes promises, who directs. It's time for us, King's Church, to to count ourselves into the promises of God again. To stand in line again with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. To receive God's grace and be a blessing to the nations. It's time to pray into the prophetic promises that God has given you as a church down in Porirua and the Wellington region. And Jesus wants us to see Stephen shaped by the presence of God. It's time to Again, to preach into the baptism of the Holy Spirit, to pray for each other, to lay hands for us to be flooded with God's presence. You know, for us, Stephen is a prophetic picture of a glorious church, the kind of church that Jesus wants, and it's the kind of church that New Zealand needs. You know, we see it in how Jesus responds. And I'll finish with this. Verse 55. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Jesus is on his feet. The one who endured the cross and then sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It says he sat down. He's now on his feet. Jesus is standing for Stephen, the man who is passionate for God's promises and God's 
presence. Do you guys want to be a church that causes Jesus to stand? Because he loves you. He is for you. And if he's for you, who can be against you? God's richest blessing upon you guys in this season and hope to see you again very soon. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you that you're the God who takes initiative. Thank you that you ever broke into our lives, made us alive with Christ. Thank you. You rescued us. You, you saved us. Thank you. You've called us into community. Thank you for King's Church there, down in Potadua. Lord, reaching down into to Wellington, up to the Cavity Coast and across into the Hutt Valley. And I pray they, they would know in these days, in a fresh way, your promises shaping their hearts. And they would know your presence in a fresh way as they gather together in smaller groups and in households. And that they would be a people whose, whose faces are shining for you on mission to see your blessing come to the nations. Let your blessing rest upon them. In Jesus' name and Jesus for your glory. Amen. Amen.